Welcome to the Not Work Storytelling Podcast. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a word witch, a writing coach, a story healer, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, A Woman's Way to Freedom, Power, Love, and Magic. Mythology and folklore are medicine for the modern soul. Let's hear today's story and explore why it still matters. Episode 15, The Heroine at the Crossroads, The Story of the Knot. This is the final episode of our first season of Knotwork Storytelling. I may pop into your feed for a few bonus episodes through the rest of the spring and early summer, but this will be the last story you'll hear from us until August 1st, when season two begins. I'll be telling you the story of Lord Thomas and Fair Eleanor, and then I'll take you into my recent explorations of knots and crossroads. We'll begin to explore what it means to be a heroine. Some of these ideas will be familiar to you if you've tuned into our stories and conversations this season, but they're just the beginning. I am so excited to be crafting these ideas into new forms and teaching them. It has always been my belief that ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies. Stories, especially those that endure across centuries and millennia, aren't just a bit of history or a way to pass the time. Stories from the past help us understand who we are in the present and help us craft a more beautiful, equitable, sustainable future. In May, I will offer an online workshop called The Heroine at the Crossroads, Meet the heroine within you and discover a new discernment tool that will help you meet any challenging situation. Visit marisagowdy.com slash crossroads for times and dates. I'm doing my best to accommodate the global network storytelling listener community. If you're hearing this after May 2022, never fear. Head over to my website where you can register to receive the workshop recording. And now, the story of Lord Thomas and Fair Eleanor. There once was a young man named Lord Thomas. Some said he was a peasant charged with the keeping of the king's deer. So perhaps they mocked him with that noble title of Lord. Perhaps he had such a courtly air about him, he deserved that honorary title. Perhaps this story, which is all knotted with tragedy and love, doesn't need to dwell on the intricacies of social position at all. Perhaps it's only about class and position and the love is just a mirage. Lord Thomas loved a fair-haired woman named Eleanor, but he had a choice to make. He went to his mother with his dilemma. Do I marry my fair Ellen, whom I love above all else, or do I wed that bonny, brown-haired girl you've been urging me to court? Thomas must have known what his mother would say. She told him to follow the money rather than his heart. Thomas was a man of contradiction and always took the road that offered the greatest challenge. Some might call him a fool. He decided to propose to the wealthy brunette and then set off immediately to Fair Ellen's house. Fair Ellen came to the door, an expectant glow upon her face, and we can only imagine how she tried to keep her expression fair and serene as the fires died behind her eyes. Lord Thomas was inviting her to be his wedding guest rather than his bride. 
With a heavy heart, the young man took his leave, and Ellen was left to cry upon her own mother's shoulder, her own difficult question to ponder. Riddle me, riddle me, mother, she said. Riddle me all in one, whether I go to Lord Thomas's wedding or whether I'll tarry at home. Ellen's mother knew the score. She knew the love in the young couple's eyes. She knew who had made the choice. Don't go to that wicked woman's wedding, my dear. And by that, I mean your Lord Thomas's wicked mother. It's clear how that young man feels about you, and it is clear that his mother refused to let him marry a poor woman as a bride. Now, Ellen was a girl who liked to please people. She was one to follow the rules, but she could not heed her mother's advice. When the day of the ceremony came, dressing in her finest red gown, she declared she was going to attend the wedding feast. It was better to hear the vows that would dash her dreams than it was to imagine the couple standing before God and gentry. Though fair Ellen may not have been rich enough for Lord Thomas's mother, she was far from destitute and had seven serving maids to accompany her as she made her way across the town. The people stopped to stare. They took this fair-haired lady, dressed in scarlet, to be a queen. Ellen's indecision had cost her, however, and she was too late to the church. She moved on to the feast and knocked upon the door, because all the invited guests, save one, were already inside. Lord Thomas himself came to the door. You're welcome here to me, he said. There is none in my festival hall so welcome here as thee. Fair Ellen put on her sweetest smile as she crossed the threshold to her doom. She looked to the man she loved, the man she loved still. Is this your bride, Lord Thomas? I think she looks wonderfully brown, and you should have one of the finest women that the sun ever shone on. As an aside, dear listeners, This is a masterful example of throwing shade. As Fair Ellen noted, the bride had spent too little time under a parasol. Building a rich tan wasn't the habit of a lady. Ellen was naming this nameless girl to be a low-status worker of the fields. Maybe she wasn't rich enough to be a worthy bride after all. Whether it's a comment on race or on social class, skin color and preference for paleness has played its insidious role in conflicts and contracts across time and space. The brown-haired bride, she heard those words, and she saw the look in her new husband's eyes as he looked upon their wedding guest. Wearing the sort of smile that showed all her teeth, The bride placed her brown hand upon Ellen's fair wrist and declared, Where do you get the water, fair Ellen, that washes your face so white? Ellen's own pearly teeth flashed. There is a well in my father's yard, but if you live till the day of doom, that well you shall never see. With that, the veils of hospitality and all the gentility that money could buy dropped to the reception hall floor. The bride pulled a knife. As quick as a blink of her long-lashed brown eyes, she stabbed Fair Ellen in the side. Now remember, Ellen's dress was red, and Lord Thomas was never one to see what was right before him. He looked at Ellen and remarked that her lovely pale face looked a trifle too pale. Can't you see, my lord? 
I bleed. I bleed, for your new wife has taken her blade to me and cut me through the heart. With that, he did see. Lord Thomas saw the results of his choice made plain. And with that, he drew his own blade from his belt, a great long sword with a glinting hilt of pearl, and removed the nut-brown bride's head from the neck of her own lily-white gown. He turned the sword upon himself, but only after he spoke. Bury me, mother, at me head, the brown girl at my feet, fair Eleanor in my arms, for tis with her I will sleep. The last lyric tells us that out of fair Ellen's grave there grew a rose, and out of Lord Thomas's a briar. The storyteller who gave this story to me closes her tale with, This was written about 200 years ago, where there was a briar and a rose knotted together called a true lover's knot, and the song is the story of the knot. Now, to say that this story was given to me is a bit of a stretch. I uncovered this story in the school's collection of Irish folklore on the online archives found at duichus.ie. As with all the items in these archives, it would have been written down by a student in the 1930s. I give my thanks to Peggy O'Connor and her informant, a Miss McCabe, who sat down in 1938 in Trohani, County Meath. Peggy and Miss McCabe simply called this an old song because that's exactly what it was. I do hope they sang it together. It's not an Irish song originally, but instead one of the child ballads, a large collection from England and Scotland compiled by Francis James Child in the late 19th century. If you've listened to a bit of folk music, there's a good chance you've heard it before. I'm sure I have myself, but I'd never sat down with the story or dreamed into its echoes until I found Peggy's neat longhand version written upon lined yellowing paper and photographed for the archives. The song was first written down in the 1660s and seems to have emerged in Scotland. But stories and tunes migrate as easily as people do. Versions of Lord Thomas and Fair Eleanor's tragic tale have been found across Britain, Ireland, and was one of the most well-known ballads in North America, found in Newfoundland, Maine, and Appalachia. Now, the history of this tale is interesting enough. The drama of the love triangle has enthralled listeners for 400 years and more. But I tell you this story not just because it endured for so long. And not just because everyone who loves a true crime podcast might love an old murder ballad. I tell you this story because it's full of knots and choices. Everyone in the story is tied in knots. By longing, by love, by greed, by jealousy, by social stratification and convention. By the expectations of family. It was only Ellen who defied those expectations and attended her beloved's wedding regardless of her mother's well-meant advice. Perhaps you could say the bride defied expectations by committing murder, but as the final image of the story, with Ellen's rose and Thomas's briar intertwined, and the brown-haired bride's grave at his feet, presumably bare and forgotten, old folktales don't tend to take much interest in celebrating the villain's ability to make an empowered choice. Ellen is our fair heroine at the crossroads, who was presented with a set of terrible choices and took the path that felt truest to her. A sad story, but the most noble one one could hope for in the tale of a love triangle that ends with everyone dead. 
I want to tell you about the labyrinthine path that took me to this story and invite you to stand with me at the crossroads of the personal and the timeless, the imaginary and the ancient. As I have spent more and more time contemplating the knot and all the ways our lives are a terrible tangle and an intricate design, I've been taken with the metaphors and imagery that comes with crossroads, intersections, and thresholds. Now, this reminded me of Ellen of the Ways, who you hear about from time to time when you linger in Celtic mythology and spirituality circles. She's often credited with being the goddess of the crossroads, and I have fallen in love with her image on many a tarot card. A few years back, I discovered a book of essays about her, but it was more about what couldn't really be known but which might have been of interest to folks seeking an ancient deer goddess in Wales, Britain, or Ireland. Now, I love this idea of a Celtic goddess of the crossroads. The deer has always meant so much to me, and the name Ellen in its various forms has a lot of personal meaning for me, too. As is our human way, we want to connect the dots and make meaning. We want to see our story written in the stars, echoed in the manuscripts, and mirrored in the old traditions. And sometimes we make things up to make that all happen. I wanted to look again to see if there was a scrap of a story I could both honor and add to. Instead, I fell down a rabbit hole of whether this goddess existed at all and whether Ellen of the Ways is simply an invention of modern paganism. If you listen to my episode about Kana Clumor, the Irish woman poet who is not a goddess of inspiration, nor the inventor of the harp, you know I can get really passionate about such debates. This time, however, I knew it wasn't my tangle. I stepped back from the forums and the witchy blogs. I resisted the urge to go to JSTOR and start digging through bibliographies. And I went to the trusted source, the folklore. Folklore, when taken right from the source, always has a truth to it, even if it can be proven to be historically inaccurate. Somebody thought, believed, or practiced these ideas, and that's worth something. That's what shaped their culture. That's when Peggy and Miss McCabe's story found me. That's when I found an entirely different Ellen. And then I realized this story of this entirely different Ellen ended with, the song is the story of the knot. Well, now, isn't that just perfect? And isn't it possible that Ellen of the Ways exists after all? but just perhaps not in a way that's been written down and can be told according to the source. As we've established, I am all about the knots. I'm all about the crossroads. I think life is all about the knots and the crossroads. We are called to recognize, work with, and grow from these knots of life, both the terrible tangles and the intricate designs we make through our creative work, our relationships, and our regular routines of caring for self family, home, community, and earth. This is the work of the heroine. And knots, of course, they're intersections of fibers, right? Crossroads of yarn make a sweater. You can follow the pattern or improvise. You can trace the thread to understand how the design was made or how the snarl all got started. You can see the complete creation or the individual strands that make it up. You can see yourself as the place where all the elements come together, the great living knot, the wondrous collection of possibilities and filaments, passions and experiences, everything from the cells to the spirit. The next phase of my work, which I'm excited to share with you, is about exploring choices, 
how we face them, how we make them, what we do in the face of both possibility and conflict. How do we discern the best course of action? How do we get clear on where we are at the moment of choice and where we've been coming from so we can make decisions grounded in trust and awareness rather than desperation, obligation, or fear? Here's what I know so far. This work with knots and choices remains terribly hypothetical and heady until we begin to see it all through the lens of story. And what makes a story real to us? A character. More specifically, the heroine, because she is most adept at meeting the tough knots and the beautiful ties that bind us to the routine of everyday life, as well as the cyclical patterns of the seasons and the bonds that unite us with one another. She knows what it is to be bound by ties of love and family, by responsibility and culture, by desire, and yes, obligation. Over this season of not work, I've started developing a new idea. Well, it's both new and built upon work I've been doing for years. If you've listened carefully to the last few episodes in which I tell you about my new one-to-one energy healing and coaching offering, which I call Healing for Heroines, you might have heard me mention the heroine's knot. In many ways, it's the evolution of the concepts and stories I shared in my 2020 book, The Sovereignty Knot. Now, I love so much about that book of mine, especially the archetypes of sovereignty, the princess, queen, and wise woman. I definitely still believe that we are here to free the princess, crown the queen, and embrace the wise woman, no matter what stage or age we are. I am still proud that I told my stories, those that were hard to speak out loud and those that didn't seem hard enough when considered beside the stories lived by people who haven't had the immense privileges that I have. As a white, cis, het, able-bodied, middle-class woman born in the last quarter of the 20th century in America. (sighs) I think my relationship with my book reflects what so many authors and artists go through as they create and release a deeply personal project into the world. The creation of it changes you. The release changes you. And the world is ever-changing, of course. The thing you wrote might change a little part of the world, even if it just changes one mind. It's necessary to let your relationship with that thing you created change, too. The concept of sovereignty has become wildly more complicated over the last two years, as the pandemic has brought the ugliest parts of toxic individualism to the fore. Whether it's with masks, vaccinations, or invading the U.S. Capitol, the darker parts of sovereignty are shining through, both on the right wing and in the wellness and spiritual communities. One of the wisest things a heroine can do is decide which knot needs her attention at any particular moment. I believe deeply in the sort of sovereignty I described in my book. I believe there are thousands millions who need this sort of healthy sovereignty that roots us into our sense of self in order to contribute to healthy families, healthy communities, and healthy natural ecosystems. I keep living and teaching ideas from that book every day and in every way I can. But the word, the baggage that drags sovereignty down, it isn't mine to carry through the next phase. I am deeply grateful to Sean Parak O'Donohue, who speaks so eloquently of sovereignty in episode 14 of the podcast, and who's also calling us to engage with this timeless concept in his new book, Courting the Wild Queen. So yes, 
In my next phase as a storyteller, a healer, and a coach, it's going to be all about the knots. I'm going to be teasing and recrafting those knots described in my book for the rest of my life. To be alive is to tug at the old knots and weave the new. And I am deeply grateful that helping others untangle and reweave their own knots is my work to do. So I would like to invite you to come with me into the heroine's knot during one of these free online workshops I'll be offering in the month of May. I'm calling the workshop The Heroine at the Crossroads. Meet the heroine within you and discover a new discernment tool that will help you meet any challenging situation. For details and to find a workshop date and time that works for your time zone, visit marisagowdy.com slash crossroads. During our hour together, you'll meet the archetypes of sovereignty. They'll help you understand that there are countless ways to be a heroine and that there are always new ways to look at and approach the tangles of life. And I just want to make sure we all remember that heroines are not just women. Heroines are anyone who realizes that a huge part of their mission in this world is to meet the crossroads of responsibility and passion to stand in the midst of everyday life's routines and also honor the small, quiet voice within or the great, raving, wild voice that screams out. Heroin is in all of us. After this workshop, you'll have a new tool that will help you look at the energy you bring to every decision and will help you choose how to respond to whatever comes your way. So I want to thank you so much for being part of this first season of Not Work Storytelling and for helping me weave this knot of stories and conversation. A story needs someone to tell it, but it is just as important that the story has a listener. I hope to see you at the Heroine at the Crossroads workshop. There are more events related to the heroine and the knots we weave coming up this summer and beyond. I do hope you'll be part of them. And remember, I offer one-to-one support as an energy healer and coach in my Healing for Heroine session and as a writing coach for authors and creative entrepreneurs. Find all the details over at marisagowdy.com and let's stay in touch. We have so many more stories to craft, share, and heal. Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform and do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. You can find out more about my writing, my book, and how to work with me as a writing coach and story healer, as well as my online writing community and courses at marisagowdy.com. Follow the show on Instagram at NotWorkPodcast and join our listeners group over on Facebook. The traditional Irish reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. It's by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy, a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Find out about their music and shows at BillyAndBeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. Remember, ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies, and your stories can help heal the past, anchor us into the present, and create a more beautiful, sustainable future.